0: Brandon Thurston from Wrestlingomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good
1: afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data.
2: Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line.
0: I like the very direct question on that.
2: Television ratings downward spiral. Fire rates
1: plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around.
0: Let's bring in John Pollock and Brandon Thurston for another week. It is Wednesday, November the 29th. Welcome to the program from a very cold, snow filled Toronto, Ontario, joined by.
1: Buffalo's own Brandon Thurston. There, are you having? Are you having snow today? We are having. We had snow today and yesterday. Uh, cool. I had to brush off my car for the first time of, of the season here. It's not really uh, winter yet until supposedly late December, but it's it always snows in like November or something like that. Sometimes even earlier than that in Buffalo, and we do have a little bit on the on the ground right now. Well, it was almost so cold
0: that we were going to do this entire show outdoors like the WWE sent their kickoff panel to do in Chicago this past Saturday. Did you I I don't for a second imagine you watched a a minute of the kickoff show, but they put the whole panel outdoors and they looked frigid.
1: I did not watch a second of this. So this was so uncomfortable in Chicago,
0: Chicago. Like it's as cold there as it is in our areas of North America. But yes, wow. you could see the breath coming out, and was like, I just felt awful for these people that they had to be out there for the entire hour. Yes. Maybe they just had to cram in more more seats. Can can accommodate the kickoff panel. You guys can do your deal outside. I, I could probably pull that off if you wanted to. You could probably do this like on my front porch or something. Um, <laughs> you can you can go ahead, um, but we will uh, we will keep this a, an indoor podcast uh, for the time being. And uh, stopping by indoors with us later on today will be Todd Martin from the Pro Wrestling Torch, co-host of The Fix. I'm very much looking forward to talking to Todd as we will be going through uh, some of the major stories from this week, including the return of Phil Brooks to the WWE this past Saturday night, and then that leading into his show-closing address on Monday's episode of Raw, which the numbers just pouring out from the sky this morning. Many people alerted that this was a big deal for the WWE doing their largest audience since August third largest 18 to 49 number of the year. And I guess we can start there. The, the overall impact of CM Punk's return that also generated Brandon, the most social
1: moment, most social. It was a very outgoing moment. Um, this had 1.884 million viewers, so just under 1.9 million viewers. And if we look at one of these charts here to see just how how much higher was this than what Raw has been doing normally, um, this is pretty big. As you mentioned, this is the biggest since the post-SummerSlam episode in total viewership, and it's the biggest demo since post-WrestleMania. Um, and it's quite a bit higher than where they were doing last year for the same week. Um, but yeah, this is a, a big uh, rating Interestingly, if you look at the quarter hours, it was, you know, the, as Raw goes on, it's a three-hour slog, and a lot of people tune out before the third hour has uh, completed. And so the, the Punk moment was not actually the most viewed quarter hour on this show. Uh, the most viewed quarter hour is the first quarter.
0: Um, yeah, why Why is CM Punk's return to WWE the name of our show title? This is Randy Orton returns to WWE. I mean, the man is, uh, I mean, clearly the draw, right,
1: Brandon? Yeah. So, well, it's so the first hour. Was Randy Orton. Yeah. The first hour was uh, commercial free. Um, but even so, the first quarter hour usually, I think is, is ad free anyway. Uh, when it comes to raw. So it's not like you can just say, you know, okay. Well, there were no ads. Well, there usually isn't an ad in the first quarter hour. So that, and that was the most viewed quarter hour, which is the, the first quarter hour with Randy Orton over 2 million viewers. Can't remember the last time, you know, raw did 2 million viewers. Um, there's growth for the punk quarter. Uh It was up Do I have it here. It was up 7% in total, 16% in the demo for for the punk quarter hour. But it was, as I said, on Twitter, the CM Punk audience retention challenge, as some people did not survive for the, for the CM Punk, but most a lot of people decided to go to sleep. Yes, they did. Uh, well, let me ask, because I always
0: look at this and this is like a guaranteed pattern. And we kind of, are still in the mindset that, you know, the final quarter, that is your main event segment. That is where you put the biggest thing on the show. But if you're, if you're looking at this, is it almost a, are, are you somewhat sacrificing a CM Punk return by, by saving it to the end of the show? Would this be better served that we treat the main event, the biggest segment of the show for one of the crossover hours, or is this, you still have to aim to build your audience F- throughout the whole show, even like how many bigger returns can you have than this? And yeah, I mean, I'm th- I'm not this is the audience
1: this. at the end of three hours. Cause I, I, if your goal is to have the biggest whole show average possible, which I would imagine is the priority. Um, if you put him on first, or if you put him on at nine o'clock or even 10 o'clock, which is where I believe rough, roughly where Seth Rollins went, um, then you probably have a lot of people tuning out after, and you probably have a lower whole show average, even if it ends up with the big moments, CM Punk, being seen by a few hundred thousand less viewers. Um, I think you still end up with a larger whole show average because it drove people to stick around. I would have to look at what the, the hour to hour attrition was r- relative to what it is, but I bet it, they held up better than they usually do for this show.
0: When we look at CM
1: Punk, I
0: mean, And we'll probably get into this uh, a little bit that the the raw rights are aggressively being shopped. Uh, Mike Johnson reporting that that is where Paul Levesque was this past Monday on a uh, field trip with Nikon to Los Angeles. So interesting that Paul Levesque is involved in some way in these uh, talks that, you know, we haven't really seen him linked to in the past. We saw him with uh, Jeff Bezos at the fashion show, remember? That's right. I mean, look at that. Paul Levesque, you know, quietly just um, maneuvering himself into uh, big television rights negotiations. But do you see CM Punk being somebody of of value on the SmackDown side? How much do you prioritize SmackDown over this next year? I don't think you can make it a lame duck show if you're WWE, but at the same time, Raw is a clear priority at at the moment. And are you putting all of your eggs onto your your Monday night property, such as a, a Punk being back, a Randy Orton being back? how do you balance the show over the next year when you have a deal for one
1: and not for the other? I think they'll probably, you know, just sort of treat it like they're kind of equal anyway. And maybe are they going to keep, like, do you get any indication whether they're going to keep punk? They're probably going to keep punk on raw, right? Because he's supposed to feud with Rollins and that's where Seth Rollins is certainly, uh, because he has the title. Um, but I would think, you know, with punk being there now, um, I kind of thought of this the night that it happened and somebody reported that uh, that, that that is how they view it, that having Punk gives them maybe a, a better entryway into doing a deal with WBD. Um, so I think Punk being there makes it more likely that WBD will take Raw. I wouldn't bet, bet on WBD taking Raw, though, um, given that AW is, is there. Um, but I would think they'll... They'll treat it, you know, they're, they're still going to make SmackDown a priority. I think they actually have some discipline now that maybe they didn't have in the past in terms of how they execute creative uh, now with Vince gone, So I think, I think they will be treated relatively uh, equally as they have been. How did you feel everything came off, um, promo included,
0: uh, Monday night? Was this a successful return just in the sense like there was a ton of interest and engagement following Saturday's return that seemed to, Definitely venture outside of just a pro wrestling story. There seemed to be a lot of attention. Monday's number would suggest that interest. And I guess Monday was, you know, people checking in on the product and are they are they going to be hooked based on this return after Monday? I watched an entire episode of Monday Night Raw. The whole this, thing. This past wow. You know how rare that is? I it's amazing how <laughs> many people that I I speak to that like do not watch Raw. It is uh it is a very small number. And I I can't say I would be
1: one of them too, if I didn't have to talk about it afterwards. I'll, I'll never forget the moment I came home on Monday afternoon and I told my significant other, I'm excited to watch Monday night raw tonight. And, uh, I watched the entire thing, or at least I had it on the TV while I did other things. I thought the promo, I think thought nothing much of the promo in terms of like, I didn't have the reaction that other people did about it, about it feeling, you know, like this was kind of a phony CM Punk. I could see how they feel that way. Um, I, I watched it and I thought, oh, that was kind of shorter than I expected it to be, which sounds consistent with what you hear later about maybe the, the Dominic and uh, Randy Orton match went long. Um I was, you know, I was really curious to see if there would be any veiled shots at, at at AEW or people in AEW, and there wasn't. Um So I thought, eh, it was fine. Maybe slightly underwhelming, but it was fine. But I do understand the reaction of, of a lot of people, you know, feeling like, you know, CM Punk saying, this is my home, uh, and things like that. It, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I saw, you know, Triple H retweeted it and I don't think Triple H is like back there, like rubbing his hands being like, yeah, we've got him to say this is our, this is his home, but it does come off as like, okay, the, the, the dog who ran away for 10 years is back and we've got him back on our lap now and and he's doing as he's told now.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it it will be an interesting one to watch in In terms of the the guy that has been so outspoken. And I think you only have to assume that he's going to be asked and requested to be on a Saudi Arabia card next year. Like there is a certain level of, you know, how his, his unspoken, you know, criticism of the company that he's either going to have to walk back or just ignore that this is, you know, that he's doing a roundabout. And I would state that that is. Kind of par for the course in this industry that you know one person's a, your opinion one day can very much be changed the next, but I do feel like with with the punk character one of the the features of this individual is that that authenticity that he has connected with his audience that I think there is going to be some of that pushback more than a another performer that would be in the same suit where he's coming back after all these years and you know speaking one way and then doing a 180.
1: Yeah. It, so there probably won't be a Saudi show until May or so. That's um, right. Cause they have the Perth show in February.
0: So we'd be, yeah. We, and then backlash is France in May. So we, we, would probably
1: be looking somewhere be in that June second even. quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to think that's something that they talked about before they made this deal. Um, I have to think that, I mean, if I have to think that they put together some sort of, if I, if I'm WB, whether or not I talked to punk about it, you, you have to, you know, have plans ready to be like if if he you know has issues like he had in AEW, this is how we're going to handle it. If this happens, this is how we're going to handle it because it's it's very much predictable at this point. I'm not saying it's necessarily likely that he's going to get into a fight with somebody, but it's very much predictable that that this person may have issues and we, we may have to deal with that uh, in, in a way that we can obviously plan for at this point. Do you think CM Punk has ever Googled
0: how much trouble can you get in for a tweet in Saudi Arabia? Did he listen to sure. uh a month or two ago when you guys were discussing the prob-
1: who, problematic piece in, in Saudi Arabia? He shared some Nomics uh, charts over the last uh, year or so. Like, would that be an issue? Like some of the tweets that he's said about blood money uh, and and things more vulgar more vulgar than that. Will that be an issue for him to even go to the country? I mean, and it's not like he has to be there. It's not like everybody who's on who's in AEW goes to these shows. It's you know, there's do you make the card or not? He may just not make the card, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is one of the shows where it's, it's pretty much until the, the most recent, I think the recent one was the first one. Brock Lesnar has not been on, but typically it's an all hands on deck show. It'll remain to be seen. I mean, that's only one um, subject about it, but I mean, this, this is a grown individual that knows what he is getting into. And the fact that, yes, I have been like, this is not some, it was interesting at the press conference, the way that Paul Levesque kind of presented it as, you know, if, we're not the same people we were 10 years ago. You've got to be, uh, hopefully, you're a better person than you were 10 years ago. And it's like, it, we're not talking 10 years ago. We're, we're talking about, like, recent uh, past for CM Pong. It is not as though he has just softened his criticism of this company, of the culture, its detrimental impact on his physical and mental health. I think that there, you know, it's it certainly there is there's a lot there. But that's also part of the intrigue of this audience, seeing uh, this individual now back in this system that he had been. So critical of,
1: yeah, I I, I, would admit, I would guess if I were to guess now that maybe he's you know made it clearly doesn't want to do those shows and and you know I don't see that being a huge issue if they just leave him off those.
0: Saturday also featured the three hour AEW block that went up against the Survivor Series. Did you have two screens up on on Saturday?
1: Um, I watched most of. I think I watched all of Rampage and some of Collision. I don't remember at this point. Rampage was going head to head with the, uh, the four
0: outdoorsmen at the, uh, the kickoff panel. And, uh, so Rampage was moved to Saturday night because of NHL coverage on TNT. So from seven till eight, it did 264,000 viewers, 0.08 in the demo. And then Collision that followed that was head to head with Survivor Series, 317,000 viewers, 0.09 in the demo, which would be Collision's lowest, uh, overall audience in its regular uh, time slot and continuing the the trend of getting annihilated against these WWE NXT premium live events. And yeah, pr- pretty much expected that we were going to see Rampage and Collision take major hits this past
1: weekend. Yeah. I mean, Rampage has been preempted a number of times. This was the lowest Rampage total viewership ever. Um, the demo was, was not quite as record-breaking. It was so, something like the fourth or the fifth least watched show in the demo in Rampage's history, as well as collision somewhere in the fourth or fifth worst range the total viewership for both of them um the lowest ever well okay cl- collision was the lowest ever in the normal time slot it, with the exception of the previous week where it went head-to-head with smackdown and it was preempted in that case uh but this was the least watched rampage ever um yeah it's getting hammered by it, and it's surprising like we did not consider this as much i think ahead of time just how often it was going to go against WWE premium live events uh, and there's another one there's an NXT uh coming up not this coming Saturday right but I believe the Saturday after that December 9th is when that is December yeah. 9th is deadline and then they yeah. get a
0: reprieve until the rumble and right. they just announced the NXT show for February which they will actually avoid because NXT will do a Sunday night show in February but I mean you will you will still have that same day uh, Australia show uh, not head to head but still the same day and then we're guess clear until wrestlemania it's i mean it's been a i i've i feel it's certainly we, we looked at this that saturdays would be tough once college football began you couple that with the wwe shows it's really i think also broken up collision just being able to have any sort of momentum like you see where like after each successive big show and maybe some of this is people that are just not becoming regular collision viewers but it seems anytime it gets any little bit of momentum, boom, they take a hit against one of these shows and it just seems as though there's this diminishing returns to the core collision audience and a preemption sure doesn't help a week ago, sending people off of uh, Saturday nights uh, as well. I think the show has been really hamstrung by a number of factors, but the, the WWE competition has probably been the
1: the most severe. What I've done for our video viewers is just look at, the trend for collisions total viewership since the college football season started. And you can, you know, imagine in, in your mind, if we just cleared out these instances where it's going against a WWE show, this is still a downward trend for the show. Um, this is still a show that is losing viewership over time over this, you know, now we're almost at the end of November. So that's what a three month window. And it's, it was up in the, the unopposed. Shows were were in the 400s, even in the 500s. The last time they had an unopposed show, I guess, is back here where we actually got under 400,000 viewers. Um But we'll see. I mean, some of these that are not that long ago, we're doing over 500. So I guess that's that's sort of a benchmark to see if they can get back to. But it, it is a show that is losing viewership and it is waning, sort of like Rampage did over time.
0: So there you go. Those are your television numbers. Um, Oh, we should also mention SmackDown moving to FS one last Friday, 789,000 viewers and a point two four in the demo. So, uh, below that, that huge FS one number that they did, um, uh, back when the world series bumped them to FS one and, uh, Chris Jericho noting dynamite wins. <laughs> did he know, did he know that <laughs> he did? He did note. Everyone said the sky was falling. Hey, we beat SmackDown on FS
1: one this week. So, um, take your wins where you can find them. But, um, yeah, yeah this, this was, was this the lowest, uh, FS1? No, there's that, that, uh, New Year's Eve episode that they did that was, you know, that was under 400,000 viewers. Um, but this was, with the exception of that one, that this was the least viewed, uh, SmackDown on FS1. It was going against four college football games on broadcast TV, uh, which is why Fox bumped them to FS1, uh, because they were, they they were airing a college football game instead and, and the usual ESPN, uh, NBA game. So. That was a lot, and I don't think it's normal. It's definitely not normal, right, for there to be that much. Co- um, as I as I throw myself off the screen there. Okay.
0: Well, we we're, we're, we we can't we can't lose Brandon here to uh to 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 the ratings abyss. Um, but there you go. Those are your latest uh, numbers that we will get to uh, a little later on. We'll also be discussing this lawsuit that has been filed. Um, WWE UFC merger. We can assume it's going to be undone. They're just going to go their separate ways. This this is going to just. Break this thing
1: whole. Is that what's going to happen? This is going to be an AT&T situation, won't it? No, we have, it's another shareholder lawsuit. I I did read, uh, yesterday. Um, it's 70 some odd pages you can find on, on Bloomberg's, uh, Bloomberg law website. A, Um, a huge Vince McMahon fan that wrote this, this lawsuit, by
0: the way. I mean, it was pretty thorough. Um, it was pretty thorough, but also for, like it, it's not his fellow board members; it's his cronies. I mean, yes, it's, yes. it's <laughs> like the language used. I mean, it's it's pretty tipping of the hand. His here.
1: cronies, George Barrios, from the show, stuffing
0: Wilson. their pockets. That's so, right. Okay, like, yeah, I got <laughs> big
1: bonuses for completing the merger. Um, it, Russell, do you see Russellomics is a, is cited as a source? I for, did see uh, that you were uh, you were
0: amongst the uh, the, the cited uh, sources yeah. in this lawsuit. I mean that that must be a, a semi common occurrence
1: now for for you. I mean you are a good go to it, for it's a legal once breakdown. Before, at least I don't remember. Um, but that was for alluding to Stephanie making a comment uh, when she was the co CEO uh, about advertising and how Vince Vince's you know the scandal around Vince had had uh, caused. Advertisers to take what she called a pause in their spending on on w advertising and sponsorships. Um, so I don't know if you want to get into that more or, or, or wait until uh, until later, but it was a fascinating read, and I've written a summary of it, uh, which is on russellnogs.com, free for everybody to read.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll chat a bit about that um, with Todd. We do have a super chat here, and you're welcome to send in any uh, questions. Uh, is Punk possibly on a short-term deal? Sports Illustrated only said he was signed past Mania, but details were limited. Is he full-time, and when does he appear next? Uh They have not announced a follow-up appearance, although I'd be very surprised if he's not on Raw next Monday. It seems like he's going to be in uh pretty much as a regular. And, yeah, it's been reported. It's a, it's a multi-year deal. This is not just some six-month deal where he's going to be in and out. It seems like it is it is as long-term a deal as you're, you're going to have for someone that is 45, and you would assume this is probably going to be his last full time contract um if 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 you get that amount of term out of him.
1: Yeah, I believe it's the observer reporting it was a three year deal, um, which is mildly surprising. You know, we we we'd talked about the the notion of whether Punk would go to WWE and maybe it would, would be safer to make a shorter term commitment to see how it works out for like six months or a year or something like that. But not. I, I I believe the Observer report that it is a longer term deal.
0: So yes, we will, uh, we will continue to chat about, uh, CM Punk, the man that, I mean, do you think that the, you know, the, the way the timing lines up, I mean, do you think he saw that 44% in this year's hall of fame and said, you know what, I got, I got to go for it. How, how else am I going to make up 16% here? These are, these are my, my last few years. I, I only made up 3% over the past year.
1: Um, is he going to add to his case? I mean, doing a a good rating, he's absolutely contributed to, to a really good rating this week. Um, I think he's probably a short-term difference maker, right? I, I think is raw. Raw might do slightly better than what it would otherwise, which we'll have no way of, of knowing uh, whether it is better otherwise, but it'll contribute to ratings. It'll contribute to, to some interest. Um, we'll see what happens. If people continue to feel, and if, if a significant number of people continue to feel like, well, this isn't an authentic punk, this is sort of, you know, he's saying things he doesn't really believe in and stuff like that, then that will lessen the the interest, you know? Um, I
0: yeah, think the so, risk is very low on WWE's side. I mean, if it works out, great. You add another you no know, key name to the mix. They are not in a situation where it's it's it all makes WrestleMania more interesting, interesting too. It, it makes yeah. you have all these different programs at at your feet that can certainly get you through a multi year deal with it with this guy. And yeah. if it doesn't, cutting bait is not going to uh, cripple this this company, barring some like absolute chaos that brings morale down to some awful low. And I don't think they would let it get to that point. It's like, if they have to cut bait, they'll cut bait. I don't think they're going to, That they are in the power position in this dynamic. And maybe that is going to make for um a, an easier way to, to manage this thing because both sides know their roles and their dynamic in the relationship. And for, for punk in terms of major league money, this is probably his last chance at a, you know, one of the
1: two major league companies. Yeah. I mean, in in AEW, the dynamic was definitely different where he was the biggest fish in the pond. And here in WWE, there are some people who are bigger stars than him, including Roman Reigns, uh, maybe a, a few others. Um, he won't be given control of a show where he was clearly having a lot of creative influence and leadership on, on collision. Um, but he'll, he's, he's got a lot of peers when it comes to star power here and, the leverage that he'll have, um, will be much less if, if, if really, uh, that much at all. So yeah, it's, and they can definitely do without him. You know, I, I have this stark memory of sitting there in, in at a payback in, in Pittsburgh, the, the night that he had been fired and it was announced on TV on collision that he was fired, uh, and, and watching this show, like immediately as that was happening and being like, you know, there, there are, wrestlers here who are over and off this doesn't feel like a cold show this wb show this doesn't feel like a cold show that needs like this shot in the arm from this new star um it feels like a show that's pretty secure in in, in the star power that they have and the interest level that they have and you look at the tv ratings the attendances and they're up um you don't really need uh somebody like this but it does make it more interesting if you have him and and if he, he doesn't uh, take away more than he gives does this You know the the extent of this
0: relationship and how it goes. Does this inform you about any anything in terms of what you've learned about Paul Levesque in this in this role, where he is clearly the one that is steerheading creative. He is not answering to Vince McMahon. This is you know him and Nick Khan's initiative to bring him back. Do you feel that this at all tells you anything more about Paul Levesque? That or is this you know to be expected that
1: there's a big star out there and they went out and tried to Make a deal. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Paul of Ek of today is very different than the impression we have of him as a, as an active talent, as a wrestler, right. Where he was more about protecting his own interests and here, you know, The notion we have is that he's, he's very forgiving and he's willing to work with people who he's had problems with before. Um, And and this aligns with, you know, the, the stories about how he was the one who was instrumental in bringing back Bruno Sammartino, who had tremendous heat with Vince and getting him to do the hall of fame and all that. So, you know, he, and, and maybe, you know, his health issues have, you know, made it easier even to, to let go of grudges, you know? So I think that's, that's what, what we'll continue to see is he's, he's willing to work with people. He he doesn't have to be best friends with, or, you know, they don't have to be, uh, have to hang out after the show. It's funny because if not for the heart issue,
0: you could argue that is the program that like the CM Punk, Paul Levesque (laughs) program, like that is, um, you know, that would have been one of the big programs to that. You could just add to the list, but, um, very unlikely to be happening given the the man's uh, health status. But um, just before uh, we we move on here, also this week, it is the big on-sale for all-in at Wembley Stadium. The pre-sale has begun, and then the general on-sale is this Friday. The return to Wembley Stadium that they were very um, meticulous to make sure that they have Will Ospreay on paper and can advertise. You buy a ticket, you're seeing Will Ospreay. So if uh, if this gets off to a very strong advance on Friday... I think there is there is Will Ospreay's uh, candidacy for his future uh, Hall of Fame status. But I'm certain that some expectations are going to have to be measured. It's a long time until this next show. It's the second time in the market. But it's interesting to see that Tony Khan has gone out to state this will be the only show in England next year. So the idea of going there, doing television, uh, piggybacking off the show, it's like they are concentrating all of the focus onto this big stadium event.
1: Yeah. Um legally I can not I really can't say more than than uh, more about this right now. But um Sorry, was this not the time or the place? <laughs> yeah. Uh did you see the WrestleTix has an early, an early update on on the sale I have not. Um this is this is from yesterday. Um 27,349 is what WrestleTix estimated yesterday. For the um, presale I I would be very happy with that with that figure yeah, for presale. That, that, that goes over what I would have guessed, I guess and And, you know, they're already getting near 30,000. So that's pretty good, you know? Um, That tells
0: you how strong the brand of All In and All In at Wembley uh, means. The fact that – and that was the argument of you're putting – you are putting these tickets on sale where August is – I mean, it might seem like a lifetime ago in pro wrestling. But it's still very fresh in people's mind of what a spectacle this was, the biggest show in the company's history. And and, and Will Ospreay is – Certainly not going to hurt people's interest, knowing that he'll be in a featured position on that show as well. I, I'd be I'd be ecstatic with that
1: presale number. So at the same point, I believe this was the first day of presale. I think, and WrestleTix has it listed here. Here's what the comparisons were last year for this event. Uh, after one day of presale, thirty six thousand was the number last year, and, and again, this is twenty seven thousand. Um, so lower, but. You know, you you could definitely be more pessimistic about this. Um, The gate at that point was estimated to be 4.7 million. Of course, it ended up being 10 million. Um, So people have been, I haven't been looking, but people have been talking about higher ticket prices. So I think, you know, it could be over that same dollar figure with fewer tickets uh, already.
0: Well, at this point, we are going to welcome in our guest. But before we do that, we're going to get into the time machine to uh set the table because uh, Todd Martin joining us from Pro Wrestling Torch and with CM Punk's return, I think everyone was a bit surprised to see him back, but Todd Martin was not.
2: Well, what do you want? I mean, the argument makes perfect goddamn sense. The, the, if you're saying that CM Punk is not going to come back... Better be because he's annoyed about not wanting to do a match with Triple H after being on the road for years, and he's going to say that I am never going to step foot in a wrestling ring ever again. And I say, Look at f-ing Bret Hart, who was screwed by this company, who suffered a f-ing stroke, who couldn't do anything anymore, and he came back to do a match in this f-ing company. Why the? F- Does that not make it clear that anybody is willing to come back if they really like professional wrestling and you give them much time? I don't understand what's hard to figure out about that. Obviously, at some point down the line, CM Punk is going to be interested in coming back to the company. He's going to come back. Why the f*** wouldn't he unless he got injured?
0: I'm home. (laughs) The intro of all intros. Joining us now todd martin co-host of the fix over at pro wrestling torch todd you called it nine and a half years ago and congratulations it it, it's it's always great for a bet to come to fruition nearly a decade after you set the terms
2: oh dear i I didn't know you were gonna be playing that i was i was avoiding (laughs) the matches of that whole thing so um yeah what what can you say Uh,
1: john sent me that yesterday and i'm impressed that you 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 censored out many of the words there good job
2: (laughs) <laughs> yes. I, I,
1: I'm one who believes like the censoring, it makes it, it
0: sound more impactful yes. than the word. Yeah. Something I think, uh, at, at times AEW could have learned from, although they have, uh, they have toned it down, uh, a bit. Uh, but Todd, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we have wanted to have you on for, uh, quite some time. I thought this would be a great week, uh, to have you on. And let's start on the CM Punk, uh, subject itself and how you would categorize the handling of the comeback, including, uh, Monday's return and, Sort of the situation WWE has put themselves in, getting back into the Phil Brooks business.
2: Yeah, first off, yeah, it's a pleasure to chat with you guys. Always is, um, and uh, yeah, sorry we haven't been able to uh, make this work earlier. There were a few times where we tried to set something up, and the timing just didn't work out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I found what they did on Monday. In terms of the promo, to be kind of bland, um, not terribly engaging. But, and I, I also was a little bit dubious of him declaring himself home. I, I don't really think that's the way he thinks about it. Um, but I, I think that's by strategy, clearly. They don't want this to be a, another big, you know, headache with him throwing stuff out at other companies or, you know, creating more issues with for them and, and headaches. I think the idea was simply reintroduce yourself, make it clear you're here, who you are. And then we'll really get the fireworks started once you start doing head to head stuff with Seth Rollins and other parties that you're going to be involved in feuds with. And I think that's the psychology. Now, you could, you can argue CM Punk has always benefited from the sort of, uh, larger arc of wrestling in in terms of like, you know, being the anti-authority figure, being the, you know, the person that, that says the things that other people don't want to, uh, to say or are afraid to say and that he loses a little bit of that by sort of being more just you know I'm happy to be here and I'll focus on the storylines but I mean I think what he did in in AEW uh you know which were just you know storyline feuds like the like the MJF feud were were plenty compelling both in terms of the uh the content of the week to week feuds and then the the matches themselves so I think they're betting on on uh the most memorable parts of Punk's Return being once he gets into the actual, you know, the actual feuds as opposed to just reintroducing himself.
1: Actually, one of the first thoughts I had when the the promo was over was that, well, maybe Tony is telling the truth. Maybe there is a non-disparagement agreement between the two of them. And considering he didn't, you know, give even any veiled allusions to AEW.
2: Yeah, it's it's entirely possible that he is concerned about what he uh, what he's able to say and what he isn't able to say. But you'd figure he'd be able to get something out if he wanted to. And I, I think that was clearly not the strategy either on his part or on the part of DDB.
0: What did this tell you, Todd, about the the management style of a Paul Levesque, by extension, Nick Nick Khan, that are being given the credit for spearheading uh, these talks and coming at a time when it's not like it's not like the case of Hogan Hall and Nash coming back in '02 when the company really did need that shot in the arm. This is not the case for WWE and yet making making this agreement now uh, with Punk when there's an appetite for it, but one that WWE could have just continued uh, going ahead with its business in a pretty good state at the moment.
2: I mean, it's tough to read that much into it because there's a whole bunch of different currents, uh, undercurrents, both in terms of the way Vince would have handled the situation and the way Hunter handled the situation. Um in both instances, you know, both Hunter and Vince have proven uh the interest in making peace with people they th- that they think they can benefit from, and Punk is clearly someone that can bring benefits, at least in the short term. You can raise questions about what how, what the results will be in the long term, but you know, as we saw with the rating on Monday, you, you can see that he is able to uh, to draw on people, and he he. Uh, captures the imagination of wrestling fans like, like few other performers of the last, you know, 25 years or so. So he looks at that and he says, Hey, we can, um, you know, we can benefit from that. So let's do it, which is exactly what Vince would have done. You can also sort of look at it from like a, uh, you know, a competition standpoint and, you know, that. Bringing him in is a way to, uh, you know, to hurt AEW, to, to, you know, to bring the contrast between the two companies and to bring in another piece that was part of the AEW, you know, uh, roster and, and now is no longer part of it. Um, and with Hunter, we haven't seen him be as overt in public about the competition, but, you know, there's every indication that behind the scenes, he's every bit as much of you know of a competitor as, as Vince was in terms of some of the moves he's made, in terms of some of the head head scheduling things around the same time, and then also you know the behind the scenes with uh, you know Tony Khan being you know and AEW being not at all pleased with the way uh, last year or or was it the year before? It was one of the two um, where a number of uh, where Hunter took back over and a number of uh, a number of parties within AEW all of a sudden started expressing interest about leaving the company which um you know a lot of people drew the conclusion was was because of tampering
0: i think as well when we are looking at the the the, the short term uh, effects for cm punk there's certainly going to be that that honeymoon phase for 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 the audience for the company uh for, for punk as well are you looking at this uh, todd as one where each side goes in with certain trepidations uh, uh, about the other, or do you feel that the, this is going to be a, a much different relationship this time around, just given the, uh, what, what punk has been through over the past year, realizing that, you know, I'm 45 at this point, and this is probably my last chance at major league money in a major league uh, company. I mean, are you looking at this as, you know, a multi-year deal on the table that this is, th- that this could prove to be one where, you know, both sides are, different, it's a different relationship than
2: the last. The WWE certainly has to have their trepidations about the situation. I mean, given the way things turned out at the end last time, in terms of, you know, obviously some of the things he said on the, the podcast with Colt Cabana, and then, of course, the way things fell apart in AEW. So, I mean, they have to be concerned about what type of effect this would have on their company, given their company is doing quite well right now, and they don't need a bunch of, you know, drawn behind the scenes like we saw in AEW. Um, from Punk's standpoint, I would imagine he's just sort of very thankful that he's getting the opportunity here. I mean, he has to recognize that if if B says no here, he doesn't have a lot of comparable options. I mean, I suppose, you know, Impact has tried to get their name in the news by bringing up the idea of him being there. But I mean, that's, you know, it's not like they have it's not like they're gonna expend the money that it would it would cost to have him as a PFL uh, Todd I mean they, they <laughs> would have been knocking Don Davis would have been right at his front door there you go they they do have the money and they're spending it but yeah that that I I don't know how well he would do in uh in in PFL these days even if there are probably some uh some uh some fighters that are licking their chops at the prospect of that um and you know New Japan you know I I, I I could, if he if he hadn't been signed with WWE, I could imagine him taking an occasional date with New Japan. But by all accounts, New Japan's going to be cutting back on expenses next year, not uh, raising them on the talent side. So um, that's that's an issue as well. So I mean, he's getting a, a great opportunity, even after everything that happened there. And I'd imagine he's just very excited about it. Now, That doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly, because you can you know bring someone in and they can be very grateful at the beginning, and just like CM Punk was in AEW, and then things can still. Um, fall apart as you know, familiarity over time breeds contempt. But um, for now, I would imagine Punk is is, is very happy with uh, you know with the people in WWE that that made the decision to bring them in. Another thing I was thinking while
1: watching Raw was that there's probably a lot of people like like myself who's I've not watched an entire episode of Raw in a long time. There's probably a lot of people, maybe maybe people who have been watching more of AEW than WWE over the last few years, were tuning in. And I wonder if they saw anything that like made them feel more excited about WWE or if they just felt like it was, you know, okay, this is the same WWE that I've disengaged with over the years and I I, I made the right decision. And then I saw a punk promo that was like this, this kind of Homer uh, punk promo. So I don't know if they did that much to make people who have fallen out with WWE feel like they're excited to come back in. Um, then again, you do see like, it's not like there aren't that many people who are watching both the impact on collision ratings when we see uh, W or when we see collision go against WPLEs has been pretty strong. So there, it, it tells you there's a lot of people are, who are watching both. Um, but it just, I, I couldn't help but think about like the differences to what extent there are even are differences between W and AW um, while watching Raw and if they did anything to to make people feel excited about the product.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, I think that's the argument against taking the approach that they did on uh, on Monday. Because I I know an, a, 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 quite a few people that fit in that in that boat, and and I had a few contact me on on Monday, and it was one hundred percent not terribly uh, enthusiastic about what they saw. Um, which I was surprised. I, I watched the show the, the the day after, but I was surprised by that because Raw has been a better show, um, and so I was thinking, you know, they're probably gonna. You know, have some stuff here that's going to be pretty compelling to try to draw on those people, and I thought it was, you know, it wasn't a, a bad episode. I didn't think, but I thought it was subpar relative to what they do most weeks. And you know, the mo typically has been to try to do, shoot some sort of angle when you've got like a big, you know, big return of some sort to try to keep those people in, and they didn't really do anything along those lines. So I can, I can totally imagine that you know, the the people that were tuning in that may not have seen that much of Be – um, thinking, eh, you know, I it, I saw that, you know, I saw that thing backstage with truth. And that reminded me of like all those terrible things I hate about raw. Um, And, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff here that was like super compelling. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm probably better off not sticking, not sticking with it, which is, you know, too bad. Because, I mean, I think for a lot of those people that viewed be in a certain light, um, that the product I think is probably more attuned to what they like about wrestling these days. And it has been for a while, but um, that'd be dug themselves quite a hole with a lot of those people with, you know, the quality of their programming for, you know, basically 20 year or so period.
0: Just one more thing on, on the promo, like certainly the line everyone looks at is like the I'm home line. I think most people had like a, a similar reaction to it. And I wouldn't say it's like a, a, a sky is falling reaction to it, but I'm also very cognizant of the fact that like CM Punk has constructed like quite a following of his audience that sees this guy that through all the the pro wrestling BS that this person comes across as genuine in his convictions, whether you agree with them or don't. And I just wonder like that that audience that has followed him and sees the photo with Hunter, the I'm home line. Inevitably, this guy is going to be doing Saudi Arabia shows that if you are somewhat kind of chipping away at what has made CM Punk this ultra unique figure in pro wrestling over the last two decades.
2: Absolutely. You hit that in the nail on the head. It's exactly that. You don't want to undercut um, the CM Punk brand in the way that you frame him coming back. And I don't think any one week is going to do that. I think people are going to see the Punk that they know in the coming weeks and months in all likelihood but yeah for a reintroduction that's that's exactly the risk everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all
0: day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time
2: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: We also wanted to ask um, you a bit about um, the thoughts this week. I mean, this has been a long time coming with the uh, the Tammy Sitch case, but her sentencing did go down. On Monday, and uh, the whole um, sentencing hearing uh, w- was broadcast. And the end result is that she has now been sentenced to 17 years in prison. This being a result of the DUI that caused the death of Julian Lasseter in March of last year. Uh, Tammy has been in prison since May of last year, so she did have some uh, credit for time served, but she is going to be in prison for um, close to two decades. It's uh it's such a tragic story involving Tammy Sitch and there's the part two of how it got to this this point that there were just so many instances like just going through the the history of her arrests and DUIs that um, this individual never should have di- this innocent victim uh, never should have died in in the end of this and this is sort of just uh, like how far this had to go before the hammer wit was thrown at her and it's it's just an it's an awful story all around
2: yeah it's a it's a terribly tragic story um Tammy said someone that you know had a lot of a lot of things going for her you know, very attractive, a smart woman, um someone that had a lot of charisma, and from a very young age was um very successful in in a public business, you know fame fortune. Um you know looks she had you know a lot of things going for her, and you know not only did she over time destroy her own life but she destroyed the lives of of others as well um and yeah as far as the uh the ultimate sentencing finally coming down um i mean it's you know <laughs> It's, you know, it's hard to feel good about, you know, anybody, at least for me, um, about anybody sort of being locked up for long periods of time. I think it's just sort of, you know, a sad, you know, a sad thing to happen to anyone. But, um, the one, you know, one sort of positive in a sense is just that, you know, as you you allude to that, um. Our justice system, and, and you know, frankly, a, a lot of justice systems, I don't think take DUIs as seriously as they ought to. Um, I think basically the, you know, the central issue is, unlike most serious crimes, DUIs don't involve a high level of intent. The, you know, mens rea is, is, as they call in the criminal law and there's thus i think hesitancy on a, on the part of a lot of you know state criminal justice systems to really throw the book at people who did not intend to cause harm when they drive drunk and hurt people but you know i think that uh, duis are often treated with you know way too light sentences um in all sorts of jurisdictions and this was a counterexample. This was an example of, um, I think, because of the specifics of the fact that she had um, showed such recklessness so many times in threatening other people's lives and 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 um, you know causing you know making the potential for for uh, you know. Other people to be hurt, um, made it easier for the judge, um, to say, no, we, we need to take a, a stronger stance on this one. And, you know, I, 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 hear more about this over time. It would take, you know, more of a concerted effort because you'd have to change the laws in a whole bunch of different places, um, in order to make, in order to have an, to have an effect on this. But I, I do hear more over time about the idea of, of creating tougher penalties for, um, for DUIs, um, particularly when it comes to injuries to other people. And, you know, maybe this is, you know, part of a, a slow change in that regard.
1: So she, she's sentenced to 17 years in Florida. Do you have a sense of like how likely it is that she serves that entire term?
2: Um, I actually wanted to do more research on this, um, because I'd been told that Florida has, um a uh, florida all all states have different laws when it comes to the amount of time that you have to serve before you're eligible for um for parole um but florida i was told and again i haven't confirmed this but i was told and i think it was from the hearing though so i think this is likely true um that they have that you have to serve a higher percentage than a lot of states um which would mean that she would have to serve a longer period of time before she'd be potentially able to get out than she would in other states and that would be consistent with um Something I do know is true, which is that Florida, um, for a variety of reasons has been able to keep their, um, their uh, prison population more in check than some states, which means there's less of a, um, less of a crunch to, and, you know, to just essentially let people go because there's just overpacked prisons and more people coming, more, people, more people coming, which has been the case in a lot of places, even with, um, you know, the prison industrial complex, what it is.
0: We also wanted to, uh, just quickly, uh, talk about this lawsuit as well that the, uh, well, the WWE and UFC mergers at the subject of, this is from the Ohio pension fund, um, that has, you know, launched a complaint over the, uh, basically over the whole uh, process that they went through earlier this year. And the idea that Endeavor was the front runner to get this and that nobody else was given a, a, a fair shake at things with the uh common denominator being that, uh, any of these other uh, cash purchases of WWE would have led to the ouster of Vince McMahon, who was able to retain um, a significant seat with the uh, Endeavor uh, merger a- as it went down. Um, Todd, have you had a chance to uh, go over? Uh, a- I- any I- I of sprung this on Todd yesterday. The <laughs> seventy-page filing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we don't mean to always give homework to our guests. But
2: uh, really. yeah, unfortunately it's been a busy week for me so I haven't gone through it in in, in detail, but I did quickly sk- skim it and I understand the the basis of the complaint. Um and this was something that you know that was discussed back at the time, more in the context actually of when people were speculating about the idea of Saudi Arabia purchasing, but um it also applies here that Vince was going to try to steer the purchase towards someone that would Keep him in power. Now, as we've seen, the way that the, that the uh, you know that the the deal was structured, and in fact, he hasn't been able to maintain as much power um, as uh, as a lot of people were expecting he would be able to. But that doesn't change the specifics of the lawsuit. If his intent was um, to steer the 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 sale towards a less advantageous um, purchase, then you know that, that they've still got a claim there. Now, what makes it difficult for um, the Ohio pension fund is, uh, the fact that, um, that this, this, this law, lo- this, uh, this deal was structured differently than other deals that they had potentially looked at. So if you had, say, if you had two deals and both of them were a set, you know, set financial deal, a certain cash amount, then you could, you know, then if you have evidence that a better deal was on the table, um, then uh, you, present that and there's your basis for your lawsuit. Whereas here, it's more comparing apples and oranges, which makes it more difficult to establish that the deal that they were, um, that Vince was looking at was a necessarily a better deal because he got this deal where if, if, you know, if the stock price rises a lot, then, you know, they were talking about, you know, incredible, you know, amounts of, of money that potentially could have been had. Now, the stock price hasn't gone as well as, uh, as, as they hoped. Um, but that doesn't mean that they weren't anticipating that it would do better. And I think they were anticipating that it would do significantly better. Um, now that doesn't mean that they weren't, um, uh, that they weren't potentially avoiding other deals that might've been just as good or, or better. And I think the, you know, the pension fund is likely hoping to get, you know, evidence in, in documents that might suggest that they were not looking very carefully at deals that actually seem pretty good. But um this does this seems this seems this seems difficult um for them to prove now we've seen before and th- this also might encourage these sorts of lawsuits that that that'd um, be have settled the number of things in the past few years when in previous decades Vince had been more reluctant to um to settle um lawsuits against him for the reasons that it can inspire more lawsuits because people think, okay, I can get a payment too here. Um and that may be p- part of it as well, that they figure, okay, you know, this, you know, Vincent and, and Endeavor aren't really gonna want, you know, people to go through the books and go through um the records of, of these transactions. Um and uh they'll just give us a payoff and, and we can we can move on. Um and we'll see if uh if uh if they're receptive to that or not.
1: Yeah, so just recently they, they settled the, the Panini lawsuit. The terms we don't know, but they mm-hmm. they settled the racial discrimination lawsuit uh, with the former writer, um, and they they made a settlement over the previous shareholder lawsuit that was over whether or not they were going to get a Saudi TV deal. Uh, there's I know there's some money that went back to shareholders for that too. Yep.
0: Is it common language Todd in a, a lot of these these lawsuits that uh Vince McMahon's appointed board members would be uh, uh rather referred to as uh, Vince's cronies <laughs> <laughs> i there's
2: do a, there's I, some
0: I, great language in this lawsuit when you have a chance
2: Todd. i, I do enjoy a uh, a particularly um, strongly worded uh, brief it can it can be fun to uh it can be fun to uh um to read and it can be tempting to uh to write. Yes,
0: this was referred to. Uh, Vince McMahon's uh, return to power was his coup de grace as well. In, in this yes, also I do. Uh, I, I do. I would love to speak to the author of this uh, particular yes. lawsuit because they were uh, cro- the cro- McMahon's crony-filled board would later seize on this unequal <laughs> playing field to pretextually accuse the other bidders of showing less enthusiasm and urgency, <laughs> uh, and yes. a ton of redactions
1: in this. Brandon, by oh, the way, yeah. especially later crazy. on. Yes. One of the weird things about reading this is that so I, I figured before I read it, oh, this is probably going to be mostly based on public knowledge, you know, things that have already been filed publicly by WWE at this point. And it is, there's, there's an S4, which is a type of SEC filing that you file, I guess, when you're going to do a, an MNA transaction or something like that. And that goes through, basically, WWE had already filed in May. Here's a long, you know boring narrative about how we made this deal. And it references a lot of that. But it, but it also references meeting minutes that the board had, which I can't imagine how they got in possession of that. Um, and there's a lot of redactions, apparently, where they're referring to who they believe are the, the different bidders, which I believe are Liberty Media, Comcast. And there's another one in there. Maybe that's like a pr- private equity or something like that. But that, that was interesting to go through.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, I I look forward to engaging more with it.
0: Uh, last thing here before we uh, wrap up, Todd, uh, we would be remiss not to bring up the letters of, uh, AEW as they come to their, uh, their year end and you look back at 2023. This seems like a very, uh, tumultuous period for AEW. They're, uh, a big year on the horizon for them with their, with their television negotiations being up. Um, how would you assess this year for AEW? This is, I will fully admit, this is the most loaded of questions to end this uh, interview on, but, um, a- as you just look at things and, and do you look at the, like, it seems very difficult when you've lost that momentum to regain that momentum. And that seems to be that the process that they're in and we'll see if, you know, CM Punk makes that even a a larger gap between the two when it just comes to that cool factor that I think AEW is searching to reclaim.
2: Yeah. I was debating in my head, whether it would be hyperbolic to label it a disaster. Um, and I concluded as you were uh, continuing to, uh, Um, set up the question that it would not be hyperbolic to label it a disaster. I think it was a disastrous year for AEW. You can point to to, to highlights of the year. I mean, obviously, All In was a a big success, and I would consider, you know, you're discussing the uh, the early sales, I would consider that promising as well for next year. So you can point to that. The pay-per-views have, uh, it does not appear they've gone down as, as much as I figured they would as they started uh, running more pay-per-views. So that's an encouraging sign that they might be able to make more revenue there without hopefully, you know, creating too many um fans that are less invested in the product which is what happens when you get people ordering fewer pay-per-views um at the expense of making that additional money but when you look at some of the key revenue streams the pay-per-views overall are still down um the 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 um television ratings are down um but you know the worst is the uh is the live attendance which is down very significantly and I connect that all to a general feeling amongst the fan base that AEW has lost an identity that it once had, which was sort of the um, the um alternative to WWE that you could sort of rally behind that was offering a different type of product. And this was the year that they became much more WWE-like and not even – the WWE that 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 of of late that's been a better WWE, but the WWE that, that people disliked that made them more likely to become AEW fans. And I think for a significant base of people that were looking to AEW as an alternative, a lot of those people have filtered out. And the people that are left are a higher percentage of people that also watch WWE and perceive WWE to be the major league of professional wrestling, which is not a great place to be, to be a secondary brand with a bunch of WWE fans that also watch you, but think of WWE as, as the bigger product. Um, and then on top of those issues, I look at um, what to me has just been a total – I was going to say mishandling, but I mean that implies it's more coming from above – um, very much, in my opinion, a destruction of, of MJF, who started the year as a very hot, very effective heel world champion and ended the year as a floundering, um, try hard embarrassment of a babyface world champion, in my opinion. And I, I think that has been a real major problem that that's now sort of your, um, you know, your standard bear, this character that I think is really floundering and you've set up all these different feuds that it appears you're going to be trying to, trying to pay off for quite a while here. Um, and I just don't think that's the way, that's the way you want to present your product is, is that character on top and the way that he's acting of late. So, um, and not even of late in the medium term as well. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of problems with AEW and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, um, the, the, the t- tournament they're doing right now will help to move them back towards more of a path they were doing before. I think, you know, a, a, uh, a G1 round robin style tournament is the sort of presentation that I think a lot of the people that are looking for an alternative like. And, you know, hopefully we see a strong tournament that's able to generate some positive momentum going into the next year.
1: You know, I was talking to someone recently who was asking me, you know, if you were, and I, and I agree with you know with what you said about and what you've been saying for months that everybody everybody should be listening to the fix about the identity that AEW doesn't really distinctly have um but I, I was talking with somebody about well, what would you do to make AEW a cooler brand make it the cool wrestling brand again um and I had some thoughts on that but I'm wondering like what what are some things that they could do even in the, the immediate term to fortify what their brand is and to start to undo some of the the uncool things that, that they've become?
2: I mean, the, the, the thing that I would say at the very beginning, well, I mean, two things. One is focus on characters that have a sense of coolness about them. Um, there's a lot of characters on the show that, you know, that people like. Th- because they sort of have something amusing about them. They're sort of gimmicky in different ways and people sort of enjoy the joke about them or whatnot, but there's not a sense of coolness to them. It's sort of, um, I mean, there's different things going on with the different characters, but um, it's, it's just not a sense of cool. So I'd be looking for characters specifically that if you're not, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a sports fan, if you'd liked wrestling in the past and you're just looking for sort of like a cool character that you can relate to and that has an edge about them, um, to emphasize those sorts of characters over the characters that, um, that don't have as much of a sense of that. And then the second one is to try to emphasize a positive identity. And you can do that in a number of different ways. There are whole, all, all sorts of different ways to try to emphasize what you are, but you need to have a sense of what that is. And, having a sense of what you what you are also means having a sense of what you aren't. Like these are the things we do, these are the things we don't do. And to try to, you know, bottom line it for people. Um I was sort of thinking about that, you know, uh uh, you know, how you would sort of frame that. And I was thinking maybe something like, you know, wrestling for wrestling fans, you know, because WWE be has sort of moved away from Wrestling for years and still is, you know, sports entertainment or what sort of res- emphasizing the wrestling component, the sports. It's a term that I think wrestling fans like and emphasizing that we are for you. We're trying to provide a product that that those sorts of fans are going to like. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of different ways to do it. But it, it starts with having those conversations, you know, just not even thinking about the storylines, not even thinking about the individual characters, but just thinking abstractly, what sort of show do we want to be? And then discussing what do we like? What do we not like? And at that point, starting to narrow down the sorts of segments that would fit into that, into that, into that, um, into that show. And I think if you look at most, um, successful wrestling companies over time, and there are exceptions to this, you could, you could describe a certain sort of segment and say that fits into what that promotion does, or no, that doesn't fit into what that promotion does. And if it's just sort of throw everything at the wall, that's, that's okay if you're the major, if you're the company that's viewed as, you know, the hegemon, if you're B if you're the major league. Um, Which I don't use to, you know, to, to, uh, is sort of a, um, way to frame it positively. I'm just sort of trying to describe, you know, descriptively the way people think about it. Um, if you are that, then you can throw all sorts of different things and it doesn't matter because you define for people what wrestling is but if you're an alternative you need to have your own affirmative identity of what you are to dif- to to distinguish you from the company that that people know so much and so that, that i think having those conversations uh, would be a positive development because i don't i don't sense that 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 they're, that they're being had
0: for more with todd martin you uh, should be listening to the fix every single week at vip.pwtorch.com todd martin and wade keller giving you hours of this uh this award-winning analysis from uh, todd martin um most weeks you get pg todd but may- maybe sometimes a tv 14 if a rant so uh requires it from uh from one todd martin but uh we definitely have to have you back sometime uh todd thank you so much for uh, jumping on with us and uh and, and doing uh it- brandon's homework as well ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> pleasure guys thanks todd all right. That was Todd Martin. Uh, always great to, uh, chat with, uh, Todd, who I think is, uh, one of the, uh, the smartest people out there when it comes to, uh, just the, uh, the, the structure, I think, uh, that, that can be, be applied to an uh, AEW in particular that, uh, he can put into a lot of specifics about a lot of the kind of big picture problems that they have, but actually break them down into sort of what are some of the, the the symptoms that can be immediately addressed and that hopefully in time have a a long-term effect but this will be a very interesting year to look back on for aew and how you just rewind this year and how a tony Khan assesses it and it's it's one thing to hear from him publicly and that everything's perfect everything's great um but only he and those around him can look and state hey this is this is working, this is not working and, and how you apply that. And it's, it's very difficult, I think, to be able to balance all of that in where you're, you're being fed information from so many different directions that there's positive here, there's negative here. And what is ultimately Tony Khan's job is to parse through all of that and understand where his product is and have we grown or decreased in popularity this year. Yeah.
1: I thought it was interesting. We got reports out, uh, yesterday that was qt marshall leaving AEW, it sounds like he, he felt like AEW was becoming too much like new japan uh so it's been not not w enough for for qt marshall or maybe it just more had to do we saw that first stats board
0: for the continental classics like we're gonna make people count numbers
1: math as, as i think uh lucha Block pointed out just that that was a great pr moment for uh, for AEW to hear that it's coming too much like new japan um But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things that they, they could do. And I don't know that they have the discipline to, to make them happen. I mean, just be a bit, you know, just be decisive about like, let's say we're going to pick, let's pick four people who are, I don't know, under the age of 33 or something like that. And let's go all in on them for, for 18 months and, and just stick with that. And these are going to be our, our people that we're going to create. And maybe, maybe not all four of them will become big stars, but maybe one or two of them does. Um, and there's there's just you know one one n- legend i would I would argue like uh again I, I don't know who it is it's like stings
0: retiring and we have one person in that sort of role whether it's your jericho your christian your edge um jeff jarrett i mean i don't think jeff jarrett would be the the number one pick of, of that crop but nonetheless it's like all of them together you can make your arguments but I do feel it's not even a perception problem it's also a time allotment issue that all these people require their their segments every week and that there's just so many of them as well that I think it's what Todd mentioned it's like every we're trying to cater to everyone and in doing so it's it has lost that specificity that this product had in 2019 that it was had a much clearer direction of who its audience was and was hitting that audience in a, in a really
1: sizable way. Yeah. I, th- I think probably what we're describing are the symptoms. These are the, this is the end result. This is what we see in, in the show, but I think it's just something that's, that's become much more systemic to the wrestling business in general. And now has affected AEW in that. I think there are just a lot of just over time, there's become more and more people who worked in WWE who have, years or decades of experience in in WWE and they are bringing that vision, that style of, of pro wrestling to AEW, you know, everything from production to people who are working as producers to, to, to talent. Um, and that is causing the, the the product to become less defined, um, and less different from WWE and, and it's become just a, a less cool product that that still has certain things that you're definitely not going to get from WWE. Whether it's a, a Zack Sabre Jr. and a and a Brian Danielson match, uh lots of blood. It does have those differentiating factors. Um but I I just see it being a you know a, a group of people who have become more so uh with years and decades of experience of WWE and they they think that there's a particular way to do things, which is what WWE's done for the last 20 years. Mind you, it's, it's turned a lot of people off in doing so, but they think that's the one right way to do it. And they're just, I think they're, you know, it's, it's they're, they're goldfish, you know, in a, in a, in the water that don't really realize that they're in water. They're creating a W like product, not realizing that it is a W like WWE like product, because they think that there's only one way to do it. Um, I had hoped that with Tony Khan being, you know, a newsletter reader and a tape trader that. AW would be different because he's clearly somebody who, who loves wrestling and wrestling other than WWE as well. Um, but it looks like, I mean, especially based on his comment about the, the continental classic, if you like sports like wrestling, you know, put your money where your mouth is. It sort of hints that this is, this is something that we're doing on the side. This is not our main thing that we believe in. So clearly he believes in something other than a more sports like presentation, which I think AEW would be better off trying to be. If there's
0: one, um one hurdle that I, when AEW launched that I did not expect to be as prevalent was the impact of a dominant leader in the industry for close to two decades and the impact that would have on a, a sizable amount of wrestling fans that have grown up and pretty much absorbed one company. I think like, you know, I've just watched so many different types of wrestling and so have you, but there's still so many that it's the default is like how often we would see something and WWE would never do this or this. And it just became a right and wrong, even as probably a lot of that Venn diagram is overlap of people complaining about a lack of an alternative and seeing an alternative that it's somehow, this is not, this would never happen in WWE. And that somehow is wrong instead of couching it, that this is different. This is a different presentation of the same form of entertainment. And I think that 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 has been pretty pervasive, not just in the industry, but also outside of of fans too,
1: that have just known pretty much one product for 20 years. And I think it's really common to lean on that. I mean, like in, in the Indies all the time, whenever, you know, Shows are being put together or matches being put together whatever eat you, you know, a lot of times you'd say okay let's let you know we do we're going to do this thing and well that's what we does and there isn't like critical thinking about whether or not that's actually the best thing to do but because the industry leader does it and they do dominate the world uh that must be the best thing to do because it's what they do um and that's one thing to do it on an indie level in front of, you know, small crowds and stuff like that. That's not necessarily trying to be an alternative wrestling brand. But when you're the number two global wrestling brand, when your I believe, reason for existing, among other factors, is because there was a large group of people, fans, who were disenfranchised with what WWE was doing. I think it's extremely important to try to differentiate yourself almost for, for that sake because… You know, I'm I'm not saying you you get rid of the ring because somebody has a ring. No, you you keep certain things, uh, but it's really important to be different. Um, and I think there's just a, a systemic unwillingness to think critically, or, you know, I think I don't think people in wrestling are really taught to think critically because it's ultimately what happens on television. Is, is a work, but there, you you have subjective factors. To, it's subjective to say whether well, or not a certain segment was a success. You can always come up with excuses why a terrible segment was actually good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really no real scoreboard other than WrestleNomics. Uh, and even that can be explained, you know, the, the ratings can be explained away, you know, that well, it was really because of this reason why that happened. So it's sort of endlessly subjective and it's, and it's really easy. It's really plausible to, to come up with excuses about, you know, why the results are, the economic results are what they are. So it's really hard to be honest with yourself about why things are the way they are and to take the steps that do create a positive change. Uh, one last thing, just circling back to
0: the, the lawsuit, uh, both of us got to go through the entire 72 pages. Um, was there anything we didn't touch on that jumped out at you in terms of, uh, w- what was laid out there? I mean, the, the key, um, arguments being made is that there were three cash offers for WWE and, yeah. uh, it's essentially stating that these, these three companies, one of which were pretty much confirmed was Liberty Media and, just the the notion that these three were basically not given the same amount of time for due diligence. That Endeavor pretty much had this from the jump. Like the day they started accepting uh, confidential bids, the next day Endeavor had their their offer ready, and f- from there it seemed like this was a this was going to be going Endeavor's way. That the others, it was just window dressing to appease by making it feel like an open bidding process.
1: Yeah, no, the, the, the redactions are interesting in in terms of. I mean, I, I, I strongly believe the one bidder, um, I'm, I'm looking at the filings, one bidder, which is redacted, submitted a cash offer of 95 to $100 per share. Um, I strongly believe that's Liberty Media because there's also a note in the S1 from, or in the S4 from May that says they were given tickets to go to a, a, a house show in, in Denver, which is, where the uh, which is where Liberty Media headquarters is, um. So it's not like they went to a big show, you know, where you be it was a road um, to WrestleMania house show. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. they were just they were nobody goes out the of their story. way to go to a house show, um. You know, unless it's twenty minutes away from from where you work. Uh, so I'm pretty sure. Can that's- You imagine if
0: they got John right. Malone like Jelly Roll on Monday to like shove Dominic or something, they could have got him involved in the. Uh, I'm sure they, they would have got it up to
1: a hundred dollars a share if they if they worked John Malone do it. That would have been great. Um, and and the other. Uh, then there's another one that, that the redaction is real short. So it makes me think it's an acronym, uh, submitted a cash offer of 90 to $97 per share. Uh, and then another one, which I, the, 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 words Comcast fit neatly under this, uh, this redaction offered $76.83, which, you know, my surface level reading of that, that's a pretty low offer, um, coming from your, your leading customer, uh, your, your partner for raw and for for peacock where it makes a lot of sense if they just bought up wwe and they wouldn't have to pay for rising costs and live tv rights fees maybe they use that ip in in, uh, universal studios and things like that um my sense is that you know maybe comcast didn't really want to be associated permanently and take it in-house take take wb and and wrestling in-house so i think they kind of my guess would be that if I were to speculate that they just sort of made an offer to make an offer so they can you know tell their shareholders they tried and they did their due, their due diligence, but didn't want to make an offer that would uh, actually happen. Um, but the, you know, the accusation here is that, okay, we had an offer for $95, a hundred dollars per share. And we settled for a, a deal that was s- something like for 95, 66. Um, the, the S four goes on to say that that's without synergies, though. With synergies, it was over hundred dollars per share. In any case, they say Vince uh, dismissed these other bidders. Uh, the the excuses that well they, they had financing and this didn't require any financing because it was an all stock deal. Um, so that's what's happening there. And and now the the stock I believe is sitting around seventy eight dollars around seventy eight dollars per share uh, as we speak, and that's at a one to one conversion uh with W shares yeah I, I just see this being a real uphill climb for the the pension
0: fund to really make any any big inroads here it just seems to me like it is a perfectly valid argument that the tko side would have that yes there were other cash offers but we can't just evaluate this deal based on pure cash where what infrastructure was there for these other companies to grow a very specific type of industry that Endeavor has the closest thing to in an experience with the UFC. Look at the valuation of UFC before and after the purchase of Endeavor and the amount of crossover, the synergies that we have. And we were making a deal for the long-term viability of WWE and not just cashing out to the highest bidder. Um, I don't know. If I was TKO, I would not be ready to just um, settle this to go away. I think this is like the pension fund would have to make a pretty sizable argument and have some kind of smoking gun beyond just what seems to be speculation
1: that there was that none of these other companies were in the running. And, and they're alleging that Vince wanting to stay in power was a big part of this because allegedly uh, Ari and Vince are friends. So they, they knew that if you know they merged the company together, that, that Ari would allow Vince to stay, which he did. Um, and I had to no give field. up equity for Vince to stay from the original offer. Yes, which is interesting, right? We can, I, I guess, we, you can we went from at like fifty-seven forty-three split right.
0: to a fifty-one forty-nine split that Ari explained was on the contingency
1: of Vince McMahon being part of. The, the, I'm giving the- you more equity, Vince, because you're agreeing to stay. Yes. Um, I don't know if what reason do we have to believe that? Like, uh, are there, are there things that would make it difficult to, to, to fabricate that part? I I don't know. Um, but the, the notion is that if they had accepted one of those cash offers that, that whoever the, the buyer was would have then owned W outright would, have, in, including would have owned Vince's shares. Vince would have no power to stay around. Um, and Vince is around in a seemingly minimal role. Uh, he's not involved in creative. He's supposedly involved in, in making the TV deal. And he has, he is the chairman of of TKO's board. Anyway, it's a case that we will follow. We will
0: see if, um, if the, if this continues, will we, will we get some, uh, maybe we'll get
1: some, uh, Unredacted documents in, in, and in, and if you want just a, a really thorough summary of of the 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 life of Vince McMahon for the last eighteen months or so, they did a, a good job. Of it. It, it's very thorough, like the breakdown of all the the sexual misconduct allegations, the
0: Rita yeah. Chatterton story. Like they did do their research here. This was not like some of these cases you'll read, and it's just like they our lost trying to piece together pro wrestling, you know, news. Um, but they did a very good job in in that sense. So uh, Vince McMahon and his cronies represented well <laughs> in this, uh, in this lawsuit, but that will bring an end to this week's edition of Pollock and Thursday. And we want to thank Todd Martin again for jumping on with us again. You can catch the fix at VIP. Uh tonight, myself and waiting will be live right after dynamite. And then on Thursday over at, Postwrestlingcafe.com. We are dropping the latest rewind away as we are chatting ECW's December to December 2006. Uh, that was purchased by about 90,000 homes. Uh, one of the worst WWE slash ECW pay per views of all time. And we're going to hear some contextual thoughts from one Paul Heyman, both in 2006 before this show and in 2008, two, 2000, two years removed from this show. Uh, so you can tune into that. Uh, was he in charge off. of creative at that time of, of WWE ECW? He was, I mean, Vince McMahon was overseeing it all, but Paul Heyman was the lead on ECW. Yeah. This pay per view happens and the next day is the blow up and okay. Paul is sent home and he doesn't return until uh, Brock Lesnar comes back in 2012. So this is, this is the uh, near point of no return in the Vince McMahon okay. Paul Heyman uh, relationship. So you can catch that on Thursday. And then coming up this Sunday, it is, oh no, it's a free show. This week. It is a free one everyone should still go to patreon.com slash jump on it's the first of the month so get get all your patreon subscriptions up to date and uh, then catch a free show from brandon chris and jesse this coming sunday where um you'll be chatting phil brooks you'll be chatting lawsuits and i can only imagine uh, what what is going
1: to happen over the next three days yeah that, that that's true we'll be talking about all, all those things and whatever news happens between then and now um and it's free for everybody uh both in audio and, in, and on YouTube, Sunday.
0: Will we get a? Uh, ca- can you give us an update on the Buffalo Bills? Did this surprise you how close they they
1: played the Eagles this past weekend, uh, taking them to overtime before losing? There has not been. Uh, I think maybe the Bills did win a blowout, but the Bills have not been blown out. It's. Uh, I think Jesse has said that it's it's incredible how they're able to play to to the level of their competition, whether it's the best team in the league or the worst team in the league. It's a close game. I feel we should have some kind of um, a Patriots-Bills-Wrestlenomics
0: Bowl this year. Mm. That that would be the the one to settle all things. I've I've heard that the Patriots might be relegated to the XFL at the end of the season, though. (laughs) That could be possible. Okay, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will speak with you next week. uh, Same time and place, Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, we will chat with you then